You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now turn to our scripture reading for this morning, Mark chapter 15. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. When they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross so we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. 
the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, and wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. The text this morning is verse 33 of Mark 15. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. Beloved congregation of Christ, when our family lived up north, we often saw bears. Around our house, they were usually grizzly bears. They usually would come during the summer months, especially later in the summer, going after the garbage. But on the way to and from Smithers, we'd quite often see black bears. And from time to time, we'd stop the truck, pull over to the side of the road, and, and just watch them. And one thing that always struck me was the depth and richness of the blackness on some of these bears. As much as I, I love Robert Bateman, I don't think he's ever done it justice, and I, I don't think any painter could. Of course, you'd get the odd bear, which would be mangy or have some brown streaks in it. Maybe the bear had been rolling in the mud or something. But most of the black bears up there are as black as a moonless night in a thick forest. Now, I often thought about this. After all, who made the black bear black? The black bear was not a freak of nature. The black bear is a beautiful expression of the mind of our Creator. He thought that this bear would be beautiful in black, and he made it so. Which brings us to a, a recent conversation some of us were having about the color black. Black is just a color. Black is something that can be beautiful. As in when you see a black bear and you're filled with praise for its maker. 
And in the Bible as well, the color black by itself is not equated with sin. Sometimes it's associated with it, but that's always in connection with darkness, which is black. Now the scriptural concept of darkness is something different than the color black. In the Bible, darkness is usually a strongly negative image. Why is that? Well, let's start at the beginning. Genesis 1.1, we're told that God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 tells us that darkness was on the face of the deep. Verse 3 tells us that God created light. Then verse 4 has something interesting. God saw that the light was good. He doesn't say the same thing about the darkness. But he says the light was good. Never says the darkness is good. Darkness is physically oppressive. Darkness goes with death. Darkness is where a lot of evil things happen. Nevertheless, God is still in control of the darkness. God uses it. In the Old Testament, He used darkness when He revealed Himself. For instance, when God made His covenant with Abram in Genesis 15, this was done under the cover of darkness. In Exodus 20, we learn that Moses, when he went up to Mount Sinai, he went into the thick darkness where God was. 1 Kings 8.12 tells us that God dwells in a cloud of darkness. And so on. It's clear that God is in control of darkness. He is the Lord of darkness, which means that He has power over it. He uses it whenever and wherever He pleases. And that's what's happening in our text on this Good Friday. Christ is on the cross. God sends darkness for three hours. And in this, God is again using darkness. He's using the darkness to communicate. He remains the sovereign God, the sovereign Lord of all creation, including the darkness. And so I preach to you God's Word this morning with this theme, with His Son on the cross, God sends darkness. And we'll consider the message in this darkness, first of all, for His Son, second, for those who killed His Son, and then finally, for us. Our text simply tells us that darkness came over the whole land from about noon until 3 o'clock. Now the other Gospels, except for John, tell us the same thing. Luke adds one little extra thing. He says that the sun stopped shining. Now there are a couple of things we need to consider here. First of all, the extent of the darkness. In the past, Bible interpreters have often debated whether the darkness was over just over the land of Palestine or whether it was over the face of the whole earth. Well, the word that's used in the original there could have either meaning. But most likely, and most Bible scholars today would agree, that it's over only over the land of Palestine. Because there you had the context which would give meaning to this darkness. And the context, of course, comes from the Word of God. The second thing to consider is the supernatural character of this darkness. 
In other words, there was no explaining away this darkness with things like eclipses and, and the like. An eclipse would have been impossible because of the position of the moon at the time of the Passover. Passover was always held on a full moon. Moreover, who ever heard of an eclipse lasting three hours? Now it was clear that something out of the ordinary was happening. God was sending a message. Through some means, and, and we don't know how, nor does it matter, God stopped the sun from shining for three long hours. And through this darkness, God had something to say. First of all, a message to His Son hanging on the cross. Now, sometimes we think that God was silent at this moment. And in one sense, perhaps He was. There was no verbal communication. Communication with words. But God was speaking through the darkness. And His message was, My forsaken Son, you bear the curse of sin. As Christ was hanging on the cross, He was cut off from fellowship with God. Now we can raise all kinds of questions about how it's possible for the second person of the Trinity to be abandoned and forsaken by God. We could raise those questions, but there are no easy answers. It's one of those mysteries where the, the deeper you probe, the more questions you find. So it's best if we just not go there. It's best if we just respect the deep mysteries of God. The important thing for us to grasp is the truth of Scripture that Christ was cut off from God. And He expressed His consciousness of that with His quote from Psalm 22 in verse 34 of Mark 15. The darkness captured the fact that He was alone, abandoned by God, the light and refuge of salvation. He was also cut off from man. There He was in the darkness. He could see no one. He had little support to begin with. Just a few women standing off at a distance. But now He was totally blind. Blind to the presence of any other. Many times in His parables, the Lord Jesus spoke of those who are cast into the outer darkness. Now He was the one cast out. Cut off from God and cut off from man. The only fellowship left was with the pain and the suffering of hell. There was no comfort for Him in the darkness. A few moments ago, mentioned Genesis 1. Light was the first gift to creation. Now that first gift was taken away from the Lord Jesus. Now you think about that. Almost all life depends on light. Perhaps even all life. Darkness sustained means death. Most things die in the dark. People stumble in the dark. There's no comfort in darkness. For the Lord Jesus, there was nothing but stark blackness and pain, experienced entirely alone. And it was in this way that He, all by Himself, experienced the fulfillment of the great and awesome day of the Lord. The Old Testament prophets had often spoken of a, a day of judgment that they called the day of the Lord. And oftentimes the day of the Lord was mentioned in the prophets in connection with darkness. 
Think of a passage like Amos 5, verse 18. Amos 5.18 Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. And then verse 20 of that same chapter, Amos 5. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? Pitch dark without a ray of brightness? Judgment comes with darkness. And so the darkness on Golgotha, the darkness on Palestine, it expressed God's burning wrath against sin. Against our sin. God was saying to His Son, this is what you must bear, and this is how you must bear it. In the worst possible way. In the dark. I'm taking the light away and you will suffer my wrath entirely alone and cut off from every good thing. You know, really, brothers and sisters, the darkness epitomizes and it captures Christ's descent into hell. This is our Savior. He had to hear that awful message God was sending in the darkness so that we would be brought back into fellowship with our Creator the depth of His suffering, the black darkness He endured, reminds us of the seriousness of sin. Our sin. Should we ever be tempted, and we often are, to forget the sinfulness of sin, think about the darkness on Golgotha. That darkness spoke volumes. It did so for Christ, but it also did so for those who put Him on the cross. Let's consider that now with our second point. Now, People often wrestle with the relationship between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. On the one hand, God is 100% sovereignly in control of everything that happens. But on the other hand, man is 100% responsible for his unbelief and disobedience. And that interchange happens on Golgotha as well. You see, the death of the Messiah was in God's redemptive plan. You need only to read passages like Isaiah 53, which we were singing a few moments ago. Read those passages and you know that God had this all worked out. He not only knew what would happen ahead of time, but He also ordained it all down to the last detail. So when Christ is hanging on the cross in the darkness, this wasn't a surprise to God. It didn't catch Him off guard. This is the way it had been planned to happen. But at the same time, the people who put the Messiah on the cross, they were responsible for what they did. And both aspects were captured very soon after the events on Good Friday when Pentecost came along and Peter at his sermon. In Acts 2.23, Peter preached and he said, and I quote, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So, it was God's plan for the Messiah to die. But the Jews bore responsibility for doing it. God is 100% sovereign, Man is 100% responsible. 
Now in this connection, the darkness had a message from God to those who had put God's Son on the cross. Earlier on in Mark 8, verses 11-12, through 12, the Pharisees, you may remember, they had demanded a sign from heaven from the Lord Jesus. And the way He answers in Mark 8, verse 12 is very peculiar. And most Bible translations don't really capture it. In the NIV, Mark 8.12 reads like this, He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Now if you look in your NIV there at Mark 8.12, there's a period after the word it. But the Greek indicates that there should be three dots. What we call an ellipsis. In Greek, this is an unfinished sentence. In other words, Jesus was saying no sign will be given to it except... And then He doesn't say. He leaves it wide open. They wanted a sign? Now, as the Messiah is on the cross, they get their sign. It's belated, but it's there. It's the sign of darkness. And what was this sign communicating to these murderers? It was a prophecy about covenant judgment. A few moments ago, we talked about the day of the Lord and its connection with darkness and the prophets. Sometimes that's in the context of foreign nations. But many times it also comes in the context of God's Word to His very own people, to the people of Israel. One example is found in Joel chapter 2. The word of the Lord comes through the prophet commanding the trumpet to be blown in Zion. Remember, Zion is in Jerusalem. And why is that? Because the day of the Lord is coming. And then it says there in Joel 2, it will be a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. God's judgment is coming. And this time it's not on the other nations, it's on Israel. This is covenant judgment because God's people had not been faithful to Him. Instead of listening to the prophets, they put them to death. And when God's own Son was sent into the vineyard, they did exactly the same thing. Put Him on a cross on the place of the skull. Now all of this happened at a very special time of the year for the Jews happened at the time of the Passover feast. Now you remember, I'm sure, what the Passover feast was all about. It was about celebrating God's delivering the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Now think back for a moment to that great moment in history. Was there darkness? Yes, there was. It was one of the last plagues right before the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians. It was darkness in Egypt. Darkness so thick that the Bible tells us it could be felt. Yet, and this is an important point, the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Total darkness in Egypt, but light in Goshen where the Jews lived. There was judgment in the darkness, but there was also salvation, deliverance. 
Now, on this day of the Lord, during the Passover feast, the tables have turned. It's dark in the promised land. But here too, as in the days of Moses, there was not only judgment in the darkness, there was also salvation. There was judgment on the people for rejecting Christ and crucifying Him. But at the same time, there was salvation in this for God's elect. The Jews knew the Passover story. They knew the message in the darkness back then. And so they were therefore responsible to know the message in the darkness now. After all, wasn't every Passover, wasn't it a sort of reliving of the whole event of the exodus out of Egypt? Seeing the darkness there for three hours, they could have and they should have known that this was God's message to them. A message like a coin with two sides. Judgment and salvation. And that message is also there for us today. So let's consider that in more detail in our last point this morning. The message for us. And as we consider that, let's think about these two aspects of judgment and salvation. Let's, let's flesh it out some. The Jews, they were responsible for rejecting what Christ said. But many of them were given a second chance. They were given that chance when the apostles began their preaching ministry in the book of Acts. Peter preached that they should repent and believe in Christ. And some of them did. 3,000 on the day of Pentecost alone. At the same time, though, many did not believe. The message of the darkness to them and to us hangs on what those who hear the preaching of Christ do with the message. The darkness of Good Friday was only covenant judgment for those who heard the preached Word and rejected it and died in their unbelief for those who heard the apostolic preaching of the Christ, for those who repented and believed in Him, for them the darkness gave way to light. And light means life. Brothers and sisters, that's something for us today as well. The darkness of Good Friday continues to be a sign, a tool in God's hand to communicate to us. Paradoxically, It's the same message as God gave to the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that? It happened in the dark of night. Remember the disciples starting to fall asleep? God's glory appeared in a bright cloud and they they heard His voice. What did the voice say? This is My Son whom I love. Listen to Him. That was the message on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's the message the darkness of Good Friday communicates to us. God is telling us that this is the Savior. If we refuse to listen to Him, we will suffer God's judgment and wrath. We will be cast into eternal darkness and death. However, if by God's grace and Spirit we listen to the preaching of the Lord Jesus, we are living in God's light already. And we will do so even more fully in the age to come. And so the issue for us today becomes, what do we do 
with the preaching of Christ, the preaching of God's Word. Do we listen? Or do we simply appear to listen? Do we come before that Word in humility, listening to what God will say to us? Do we work with what we hear through the course of the week or does it, it, it sit here on Sunday and it just goes in one ear and out the other? Now as pastors, lately we've been giving you tools to help you work with the sermon individually and, and as families. Now today, we haven't done that, but on Sunday you, you'll find the questions again in the, in the liturgy sheet. And what do you do with those questions? What do you do with those suggestions in the liturgy sheet? You take that and work with it? You discuss it at home? You see, the darkness of Good Friday is the word of the Lord to you today. What are you doing with the preaching of Christ? Will it be for your judgment or for your salvation? But it also says something else. And I've already sort of hinted at that. Things are sometimes not what they seem. God was absent on Golgotha. He had withdrawn His presence and comfort from Christ. It had to be this way. This was hell. The burning wrath of God against sin. But that doesn't mean that God was not active. He was still working through the darkness to bring light and life to bring salvation to His chosen people. Now think about the sufferings we experience. We suffer, some more than others. The sufferings we experience in our lives, they're different than what Christ has gone through. He was abandoned by God. We have His promise that we will never more be forsaken by Him. That we might feel abandoned by all. We might even feel that God has given up on us, that He's abandoned us. We might doubt and wonder. But the truth is, the truth of God's Word is that even though it might seem like that, might seem like God is not there, He is. And you look at the darkness of your suffering and you wonder whether God is really working. Well, He is. He is working all things for good for those who believe in the One who endured darkness on the cross on Golgotha. God is King. God is Lord. He is there. He's in control. He is active. He is working for you. And all because of what your Savior endured and His God-forsakenness on the cross. The darkness speaks on Golgotha. And the darkness of Good Friday continues to speak today. It speaks God's voice to us. God says, this is your Savior. Believe in Him that He endured this darkness for the forgiveness of all your sins. Believe it. And you will dwell with Me forever in the light. Think of Revelation 22, verse 5. Speaking about the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. 
This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.